This is a reading from the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe... Because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we we want to hear, we want to see your Son in this word today. So open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, minds, even open our souls that we might meet you here. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So here's the thing about God. He asks really good questions. I mean, he does other things too. But I think, I think one thing that's underrated about God is just how good his questions are. Like if you ever read Job, like you read to the end of Job, it's really depressing and whatever. And you read to the end of Job, and it's like God shows up and asks a bunch of questions. Those are really, really good questions. You should read Job. I'm thinking a lot, I've been thinking a lot about the story of Elijah. You know this story? This is 1 Kings 19. Okay, Elijah's in this cave and he's on the run from the mad queen Jezebel wants to kill him. Right? And so he's hiding in this cave. And he says, the word of the Lord is going to come to you. Okay. Ready. And there's a big wind. Word's not in it. Great fire. Word's not there. Huge earthquake. No word. It's this still small voice that kind of sneaks up behind him and asks a question. Here's God's question. What are you doing here? I think that's a great question. <laughs> what, that's a question I, I kind of ask myself. I just like allow sort of the still small voice to sort of ask me from time to time. I think that's a great question. And I think it's really appropriate in this week. For you to have some time of just sitting there as you kind of listen to me, reflecting just on this question. I, I hope that as I talk, that you're really listening to the still small voice asking you the question, what are you doing here? 
For the hundreds of people in this room, I recognize there are hundreds of unique stories and amazing stories, incredible stories, that have brought you to this point and have helped, helped you answer that question, God's whispered question to Elijah. What are you doing here? If you asked me that question back in the 20th century, it's a great century, the fall of 1992, my first semester here, and if you gave me some kind of truth serum, I would have been forced to answer, I'm hiding. I was here, I came here because other people thought it was a good idea. My family, especially my sister, uh, first-year students, very important. Dr. Teresa Welch is my sister. <laughs> very important that you know that. <laughs> very, very important that you know that. Okay, all right. People in my church, my family, they all thought this was a very good idea. And so they convinced me to come to Ozark for a year and grow in my faith. And they were right. It was a great idea. And I had a great year. And I learned a lot. But I knew deep down, at least I thought I knew, deep down in my soul that ministry was not my calling. I, I, I was supposed to study medicine. That's what I was interested in. And so I did a year here. I studied. It was great. And I was accepted as a transfer student, kind of sort of miraculously, I thought, into a pre-med program in the school in central Illinois. They, they had graciously given me some scholarship money, and they assigned me a dorm and found some space for me. And I was taking, fall of 1993, the first few steps toward what I thought the rest of my life was going to be, following my calling but that whole very good first year here, I was hiding. It was. We've been hiding from God for a long time. We've been trying to, at least. Since the very beginning, we've been trying to hide from God. We keep running to these metaphorical fig trees to shield us from... Well, I'm not sure we really know. Like Adam and Eve quite literally, ran to fig trees. Ashamed, guilty, naked, overwhelmingly transparent, unable to handle the penetrating vision of God. They're making shabby-looking clothes out of leaves. And others throughout Scripture have tried other means of trying to hide from God, but it's just all fig trees in different forms. Okay? So like Jonah, right? Jonah, God tells him, go to Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish, the whole other way. And he's on a boat. The boat is basically just one big floating fig tree. He's trying to hide from God. Jacob is running away from his brother. wants to kill him. He's in some nowhere place, sleeping on the ground with a stone for his pillow. I think if there was a fig tree nearby, he would have slept under that. Peter at a campfire outside the high priest's residence, denying three times that he knows this Jesus of Nazareth. I like to think that the logs on the campfire were from fig trees. He's hiding. We have these too, you know. We have fig trees too. Carry around with us all the time. Maybe, maybe in your pocket or maybe in your backpack or maybe in your hand right now is your personal fig tree. 
I changed the lock screen on my phone to say, this is my fig tree. (laughs) Because it is. Maybe in your fig tree there's an unanswered text from a parent to relative that's weighing on you because of the expectation it puts on you. Maybe. Maybe in your fig tree there's a heavily filtered selfie that communicates what you want people to think of you rather than who you really are. Maybe there's a list of assignments on your canvas calendar in your fig tree that looks like an insurmountable mountain. Or maybe for some of you it's just an opportunity to feed your ego with academic success. I don't know. Maybe there's a game or app or website that has an addictive hold over you. Maybe maybe there's a terrible article that got passed around social media that has you doubting whether or not God can use you. I saw a couple of those on my fig tree this summer. Of course, if we didn't try and carry them around with us, we'd find other means. We'd try and find other means. Some other reason in these hearts of ours to not be seen by God. Like that's possible. My fig tree moment happened in the third floor dorm room at that college in central Illinois for five days. I was taking what I thought was the first few steps of, you know, they talk about the thousand mile journey, the first few steps, you know, with a single step. I was taking those first few steps and I like metaphorically sprained my ankle hard. (laughs) And those five days, I fell into a darkness that I really can't describe for you unless you've been there too. It was the spiritual equivalent of knowing that you're on the wrong road and there's just no place to turn around. And you just know you're going the wrong direction, but there's no place to get off and exit to get back around and go. Of course, there were many of them. I just had to ask the question, what am I doing here? Nathaniel, in our text, he's under a fig tree. It's not really clear why he's there or what he's doing there. John's the only one, the gospel writer, who tells us this story, because like most of his gospel, the reason I think he tells us Nathaniel's story is because John is telling the gospel, telling a story of Jesus that's really focused on how Jesus is bringing a new creation into the world. Right? Which is why John you know, begins in the beginning, right? And gives us actually seven days here at the beginning. This is day number four of John's seven days, the beginning of his gospel, just like Genesis. So John tells us Nathaniel's story because I think it's the counterpart to Adam's story in Genesis. Adam is hiding with fig leaves. Nathaniel is hiding under a fig tree. Of course, that's where the similarities are going to end because this is a new creation story. And God is going to do something new. We might wonder why Nathaniel's hiding, what he's hiding from, but John doesn't really care about that. Only that when Philip finds him, he tells him that the Messiah has come, he's the son of Joseph, a man named Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel just can't believe that. He's like, Nazareth? What? No. Whatever your particular fig tree is, whatever your method of hiding from God is, it's some form of this. God won't do that. Whatever you, however you like to hide from God, at root of it, it's God's not going to do that. 
God's not going to bring a Messiah from some nowhere town. It's not, it's not, yeah. God's not going to care enough to think about my situation here. God's not going God, to, God's not going to forgive the things that I've done. God's not going to, God's not going to use somebody as limited as me. God's gonna, not going to answer this stupid prayer. Ultimately, all of our fig trees can just be kind of wrapped up in one thing. It's God will not work in a way that I can't understand. God will not work in a way that I can't understand. And if you believe that, you will never understand your calling. If you think that God will never work in a way that you can't understand, you will never understand what he's calling you to do. You'll think it has everything to do with you. You'll think it has everything to do with your gifts, your talents, your personality profile, your Myers-Briggs, your color code, your Enneagram, your number of Instagram followers, your family of origin, your history in the church, your role that you had in your church youth group, even your... Now, God's going to use all of those things in your ministry, absolutely. But your calling is not about them. And he is not calling, he's not defining his calling on you by them. They are not the answer to the question, what am I doing here? They can't be. Because that says to God, you will only work in me in a way that I can understand. And we do that when we make calling about career. When we make calling about career, that we do that because that's what we understand. I understand that. I understand career. I understand a job. That's what vocation is, right? Vocational Christian ministry. The people who get paid. The people who are called. The people who get paid. It's the same thing, right? No. If you believe that, you buy into the lie that that's what your time here is for. I mean, that's what the Department of Ed wants you to think. I mean, the Department of Ed and probably your parents... Want us to make sure that your degree leads to gainful employment and that we as a college offer solid placement services, which we totally do, by the way. Okay? We totally do that. Come by, bring your resume, we'll edit it for you, it'll be great, okay? So we might, Michael mentioned the, the quote from Brother Wilson on Sunday night. We might think who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know as long as that leads to a job. I mean, a job isn't bad. I have one. I like it. It's not bad as long as it doesn't turn into an idol. And careers and jobs very, very, very quickly turn into idols. And when they do, and when it, when they do, it keeps the focus of my calling squarely on me. See, in my third floor dorm room, hiding from God, That story ends with me. I mean, you can probably fill in some level of that story, huh? (laughs) That story ends with me leaving that school after five days, returning to Ozark, going into ministry, yada, yada, yada. I'm preaching in chapel right now. (laughs) It's like, we knew where that story was going. (laughs) Wow, huge twist. No. (laughs) But I have to tell you, after I made that decision to come back, which was one of the best decisions of my life, I will tell you that. And as I was back here training for ministry, studying the word, going on internships, preaching at some little church in Kansas, 
if you had given me true serum at that point and asked me what I was doing here, there would have been many times and many moments in those years and in the years since where I would have still been forced to answer, I'm hiding. So here's the truth. Ministry, we think, is one of the easiest places in the world to hide from God. Hiding in plain sight. We're working for him. You end up deceiving yourself. You you end up thinking that, that you're fulfilling God's call on you when you're really just meeting the expectations of other people. That you're fulfilling God's call when you're just trying to take full advantage of your talents or trying to find some kind of personal satisfaction in your work or one of, if not the biggest temptation in ministry, by far, getting people to like me. If you think your calling is about getting people to like you, you're going to wound some people. You are. Here's the, I I know this is the first week I shouldn't be talking about this. I really shouldn't. But the dirty little secret of ministry is it attracts people with narcissistic tendencies. It does. Uh, ministry doesn't pay a lot. I mean, I hope somebody told you that. <laughs> I really do. But it does pay a lot. It does. If your currency is compliments, and if you like exerting power and control over other people, and if you're good, ministry will give you a whole lot of opportunities to do that. I'm not saying that's why all of you are here. I'm not saying that's why all of you are here. But it might be why some of you are here. I saw a study just recently, because I was working on this sermon. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> I saw a study of hundreds of churches and their pastors in Canada. And they found out that over 30% of the pastors in those churches showed some level of Narcissistic personality disorder. 30%. Now, can I tell you, I have a tough time believing that Canadians are a lot more narcissistic than the rest of us. I think it probably goes the other way. (laughs) I will tell you. I remember sitting down with a student many years ago and telling him that he was so talented And he would get so many compliments and so many opportunities and so many platforms that I was a little bit worried about him. Because it would be really easy for him to do ministry without Jesus. If the answer to the question, what am I doing here, is I'm trying to get people to like me, then you need to repent this morning, please. Because you could easily become spiritually dangerous to other people. Your desire to hold the stage and all that it means for your sense of self-worth could lead you to wound other people. And my guess is some of you have experienced the other side of that already. If your calling is about having a platform, if it's about being in control, if it's about being liked, you are saying to God, you can only work in a way that in me that gives me satisfaction. And you will never understand your calling if you think it's about you. Here's the truth. Or as Jesus would say, truly, truly. Your calling begins with Jesus seeing you. 
That's where it begins. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, wherever you're serving, whatever doubts you have about ministry, whatever narcissistic tendencies you need to repent from, some desire to fulfill your grand purpose in life, Jesus sees you in His grace. Not condemning. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. But He sees you. In His grace, He gives us these moments, moments where we become just aware how transparent our fig trees really are. How thin the divide between heaven and earth really is. It's like Hagar. You remember Hagar, Genesis 16? Essentially trafficked by Sarah, pregnated by Abraham, used up and thrown away. She's on the run, and she comes to realize that God sees me. That's what she ends up calling him. El Royi. The God who sees me. Can I ask you to start your prayers with that this week? See what happens. God who sees me. As you read through the New Testament, you're going to notice that God seeing someone or some people is usually the first thing that happens when God brings an act of salvation. Noah, Leah, Jacob, Hannah, Samuel, David, Hezekiah. It's the picture of the father of the prodigal son. When the son is a long way off, he sees him. The first act to him tearing down the road to embracing him. It's his grace makes all the difference. In my third floor dorm room, that's what made the difference. It was the reminder that he sees me, he knows me. Here's how it happened. People called me and they told me they were praying for me. My sister called. My friend Jeff called. And it was just a simple reminder. God sees you. If not, I'm reminded that someone lifting my struggle up to the Father, joining the prayers of Christ, who is constantly doing that, praying for you. I even had, this is strange, I even had a really illuminating conversation with, of all people at that college, the evolutionary biology teacher. I had a great conversation with him. And it just ended up with him, where he told me, essentially, that I needed to listen to what I believed God was calling me to do. Can you believe that? <laughs> I was like, have I evolved to this point? No. I just. <laughs> Jesus just comes out and tells Nathaniel, he saw him. There's no use in hiding. Whatever preoccupations we have about God, what he can and can't do, or who he'll use and who he won't use, all those preoccupations go out the window the moment we realize he sees us. Right here, where we're sitting. Maybe with your fig tree in your hand, or in your backpack. And when Nathaniel understands that, he has this incredible moment of clarity. He turns 180 degrees from... Nazareth, to you're the son of God. That's quite a shift. The moment he realizes that Jesus sees him. The difference, of course, in Nathaniel is that he left the fig tree. He left the fig tree. And he became, as Jesus' words, a true Israelite. There is no more deceit. You're not like Jacob on the run anymore. 
Philip made the invitation. Philip made the invitation. Come and see. And Nathaniel did. Philip didn't invent that line, of course. He didn't invent that invitation. Jewish rabbis had been using it for years, inviting their disciples. Come, let us study the word together. Come, let us meditate on the law. But Jesus, as he often did, twisted that for his own ends. And if you read earlier in the first chapter of John, that's the line that Jesus uses to invite Andrew and John to come and be with him. Philip was now using it for Nathaniel. As I said, John is telling this story because it's the new creation counterpart to Adam's story in Genesis. Adam hid from God, fig leaves. What happened? Exiled. Nathaniel is hiding under a fig tree. He's invited, though. This is new creation. He's invited to come and see. And what happens? He gets to walk with God. So Jesus doesn't just see you. He wants you to join him. He wants you to come out of the fig tree and follow. We must notice, it's come and see. It's, that's the invitation, come and see. Not go and do. Come and see. We think calling is all about going and doing. Jesus is saying, no, it's, not about, it's about coming and seeing. You will never go where Jesus isn't already. So you're not going, you're just coming. You're just continuing to follow. You will never do what you aren't seeing Jesus already doing. So it's not doing so much as just witnessing what Jesus is doing. Come and see. That's the invitation. Jesus is not calling you to a career. I'm sorry. It's not. You understand that. He's calling you to an adventure with him that you will not understand. To come and see what he is doing. In the moments of my ministry life where I would have to admit that in my preaching and teaching, I was hiding from God. I had to admit that in those cases, my relationship to God consisted mostly of what I was doing for him. I was letting a sermon be a substitute for a relationship. I was allowing a meeting to substitute for discipleship. Here's what, it it took me a long time to realize this. It took a long time of walking with Jesus to realize this, but here's what I discovered. This is such such a simple thing. I'm so stupid. Jesus wants more than your career path. Jesus wants more than your five and ten year plans. He wants you and me to see him as clearly as he sees us. He wants you and me to love him as dearly as he loves us. That's the call. He wants us far more than the, than he needs the things we do for him. The very things we are training you to do. So can I do this? Can I do this? I'm, I'm doing this with a little bit of fear and trembling. Can I add to Brother Wilson's quote? Can I do that? Who we teach you to love is more important than what we teach you to know. Absolutely, absolutely. But also this. Who we teach you to love is also more important than what we train you to do. 
It has to be. It has to be. Because He's not calling you to a career. He's calling you to see Him, to love Him. Ultimately, He's calling you to know Him. So what are you doing here? The Word gives us, this Word gives us the only answer to that question. Come and see what Christ is doing in me, in those around me, and in the world. Everything else is ego. Everything else is an idol that you must let God destroy. Every other reason is a fig tree you're hiding under to foolishly hide from the loving face of Christ who sees you and wants to do mighty things in you. He tells Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven open. He's going to do incredible things in you, but more than the incredible things he does in you, you're going to know him. You're going to see Him. You're going to love Him. Whatever opportunities you get, that's the greatest opportunity of all of them. Whatever opportunities you get, whatever platforms you get, on a stage or sitting down across from somebody hurting, you will experience heaven with doors flung open and know just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So come out from under the fig tree. Please. Stop hiding. It doesn't work anyway. If you'll do, you'll see some stuff. And nothing you give up for this was worth anything anyway. It was only a fig tree and probably not a very good one at that. He sees you. He knows you. And he's inviting you to know him too. Come and see him. And come and see what he will do in you. That's what you're doing here.